Hey, what's happening, everybody? My name is Noel. I'm one of the pastors here at Riverview. And let me be one of the first people to wish you a happy new year. Welcome to 2022. I, I heard somebody tweeted this week, last week that 2022 sounds like 2020, comma, two. So hopefully it won't be. No predictions about how 2022 is going to be. I'm just going to let this year happen. Uh, today, we are continuing our series, working our way through the Apostles' Creed. And I want to start today by talking about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, one of our country's founding fathers, he had this plan where he wanted to share the gospel uh, with Native Americans. And the reason he wanted to share the gospel um, was less than stellar. Uh, the reason he wanted to share the gospel with them is, to quote, he wanted them to behave correctly. And so what he did is he wrote a book that he wanted to share with the Native Americans to share what he perceived the gospel to be with them. And I'm going to read a chunk of this book to you. Um, it is from a book he called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is what Thomas Jefferson wrote. He said, I too have made a wee little book, <laughs> which by the way, I think is hilarious, um, from the same materials, which I call The Philosophy of Jesus. It is a paradigm of his doctrines made by cutting the texts out of the Bible and arranging them on the pages of a blank book in a certain order of time or subject, a more beautiful or precious morsel of ethics I have never seen. It is a document in proof that I am a real Christian, that is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. So, Please catch what Thomas Jefferson did in writing his little book. He took his Bible, he flipped it open, he grabbed a razor blade, and he carefully cut the Bible into pieces. And what he did, if you read through his book, is he eliminated some of Jesus' teachings, he cut out all of Jesus' miracles, and he cut out anything that he didn't consider to be part of what he called Christian ethics. And did you catch what he said about his wee little book? He said it was for him proof that he was a Christian, that he followed some of the teachings from a Bible that he had cut and pasted together and said his version of Christianity was the most precious morsel of ethics he had ever seen. And this is how he was going to share the gospel with Native Americans so that they would, quote unquote, behave correctly. Now, there is... So much wrong with this. <laughs> so many layers of bad that it's hard to even know where to start. So let's just start with the obvious. Thomas Jefferson had one thing, a belief that he considered supreme over all other beliefs, and he believes, <laughs> beliefs, and he searched the Bible for things that, that matched his belief system. That, and for him, that, that was that people would have ethics, that they would behave in a proper way. And he searched the Bible to find that stuff, and everything else in the Bible he left on the cutting room floor. He crafted a Christianity in his own worldview's image and his core beliefs that we are supposed to behave correctly were at the center of that 
Christianity that he created. But let's be super honest. He's not that far from each one of us, is he? Each one of us carries around a little blank book of our lives. And on the cover of that blank book of our lives is our core belief system, our worldview, right? Our decision-making grid, that's right on the cover. And what we do is we look around this world for stuff that supports our belief system. Some of it might be a Bible verse or a podcast or a tweet. And, and we find these things and we cut them out and we place them, we tape them into our blank book and everything else falls onto the cutting floor of our lives. Let's play this out for a bit. Let's say, for instance, your core, core worldview is that you should pursue personal happiness. That your decision-making will be determined by whether or not something will bring you what you believe to be personal happiness. And by the way, that's, I, I picked that one because it is the filter behind so many of our lives and quite frankly, many divorces, for instance. I hear people say they get divorced for irreconcilable differences, which usually just means this person ain't making me happy anymore, right? So let's say that that is your worldview. Then you're going to look for things in the Bible and things on podcasts and things on Twitter that match that, and you're going to paste them into the book of your life of your belief system. If pleasure is your core worldview, then you're going to make your decisions based on what brings you the most pleasure. Other core beliefs could be things like loyalty, loyalty to a person or a cause or a country, or maybe freedom is yours, or science, or convenience, or goals, or fulfillment. And what happens is we put that on the cover of the book of our lives, and when the Bible contradicts what we believe, chop, chop. We just slice those verses out of our belief system. So let's go back to Thomas Jefferson. Here are the final words of his gospel, what he wrote as the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. He said this, and you'll recognize some of these words. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury now in a place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. And there laid they Jesus, and they rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. The end. That's the end of his gospel account. And because Thomas Jefferson's core belief was Christian ethics, you'll notice what he had no need for the resurrection of Jesus. He cut the resurrection of Jesus right out of his Bible. He had the cross. He had Jesus as burial. They had his death, his burial. And that was it. Because for him, you could take Jesus' death and burial and they don't necessarily take away from the most important thing on the front of his notebook, which was Christian ethics. The thing that Thomas Jefferson believed was proof that you were a Christian is you behaved correctly. And so he had no need for one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus. But you and I know that as Christians, we must, above all else, hold the belief that this 
book, this Bible, this scripture determines what's true. And what is it? We're not supposed to worship this book, but it is the book that tells us about Jesus. And to get to know Jesus as well for our lives, we must filter everything through this book. We don't go chop top on this book. So that means that above freedom, above personal happiness, above pleasure, above loyalty to a person, cause, or country, above science, above convenience, above goal, above fulfillment, we hold the Bible. That means we hold the Bible above Christian ethics and behaving properly. We are, as a church, working our way through something called the Apostles' Creed. And I know some of you may have thought that I forgot about something, but oh no, we are going to stand and read the Apostles' Creed together as we've been doing this whole series. I just wanted to set it up first. So if you would stand with me, we are going to read this statement, this Apostles' Creed together. Here we go. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Today, we're going to look at this simple phrase. On the third day, he, that's Jesus, rose again. Thomas Jefferson may have clipped this out of the Bible because it didn't fit his worldview, but this mind-boggling belief is at the core of Christianity. And if you don't have this, you don't have Christianity. You can be the most ethical person on the planet. You can behave correctly by the world's standards or by Thomas Jefferson's standards. Heck, you can behave correctly according to the Bible's standards. But if you don't have this, you don't have Christianity. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, Paul lays out what he calls the issue of first importance. And here's what he writes. He says, now I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Gospel just means good news. So he says, I'm about to tell you the good news. The good news I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. In other words, he says, of, of everything else, this is the most important stuff. This is of first importance. If you hold to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain. In other words, unless you believe in some wrong stuff, right? This is the stuff. What is the stuff? <laughs> For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to 
the scriptures. Right here, you have the irreducible minimum of Christianity. This is the gospel plain and simple. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried in the ground and Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And all of this was, in Paul's words, in accordance with scriptures, which means this is all stuff that was prophesied, right? And you know what prophecy is? Prophecy is history that is written in advance, right? It was already predicted that this was coming. It was written in advance. It was accordance to scriptures. It was not just predicted by the prophets. It was predicted by Jesus. We saw that a couple weeks ago. It was ordained by God before the foundation of the world. Jesus wasn't left in the ground. He rose from the dead. He physically, bodily rose from the dead. This is a non-negotiable fact. It sits at the center of our faith. Now, last week, we talked about Jesus dying, right, on the cross. We talked about Jesus being buried in the ground. Today, let's talk about his resurrection from the dead. A couple verses after Jesus wrote his first important section in verse 12, he says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Aha, We now know why Paul is getting into this, why he's sharing what is of first importance. What was happening? There were some Christians in the church in Corinth who thought, even though they believed in Jesus, that this life was all that there is, that this life is all there will ever be. I can't help but wonder if that's what Thomas Jefferson thought. Because if this life is all there is and this life is all there ever will be, Christian ethics do sound like the most important thing. Behaving correctly does sound like the the most important thing because when you die, you die, right? And that's it. Just like Jesus on the cross and buried in the ground, if that's where it ends, like it ends at the end of Thomas Jefferson's book about Jesus, if that's it, if that's the filter by which you view the world, then it makes sense. And here's the thing. We don't see people raised from the dead. I've been in the room when people were born, my kids. I've been in the room when people have died. It seems to be all there is. People are born and people die. That's all we ever see. Maybe that's why Plato, the philosopher, wrote hundreds of years before Jesus was born, no one knows whether death is really the greatest blessing that they can have, but they fear it is the greatest curse. Here's the deal. No one came to church today or is watching church online because they're just bored. (laughs) right? None of us are just looking for something to do. It's like, honey, there's nothing on TV, so let's watch church, right? Or, you know, like like we have nothing better to do on Sunday morning. We we could drink mimosas or we could go to church, right? Like like we don't go to church because we're we're just bored out of our minds. We go to church, we we enter into a, a room like this or a service like this. We do that because we're looking for something, We don't read the Bible 
because we're, you know, too lazy to download a different Kindle novel, right? <laughs> and, and, and like there's not a good science fiction book to read. We read it because we're looking for something. What are we looking for? We're looking for meaning. And when the craziness of life settles down, <laughs> when the TV is not on, when we lose the internet because of a freak snowstorm, and we finally have a few minutes to think without any device blinking us in the face, we wonder if there really is a meaning to all of this. And maybe that's why we always have our devices blinking in our face. Because we don't want to be alone. We don't want to wrestle with the meaning of life. Some of you have lost a baby or two through miscarriages. Others have lost a friend in a tragic accident or a, a loved one to an aggressive cancer. Death stalks us. And when it pounces, we want to know if there's a meaning to all of this. Just a week and a half ago, I did a funeral for someone I've known for decades. And you know what was there in the funeral and at the graveside? There was hope. Because the people that I was with had hope that this world is not all that there is. That there's something bigger and better than all of this. That there's someone that truly cares about the pain and suffering in this world enough to do something about it. See, see what happens is deep down, um, we know that we don't want this to be all that there is. Because if our core belief on the front of our blank book is that this world is all that there is, the logical conclusion is eat and drink for tomorrow we die, right? Do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. That's why that worldview makes sense to so many people. What you don't want to do is step on other people's beliefs because ultimately it doesn't matter what you believe. So it doesn't matter if they believe something different than you just don't step on them, right? If this world is all that there is, then make the most of it. And don't worry about what other people believe. Just get along with everybody. <laughs> and the only true meaning, if that is the case, is the meaning that we create out of the world around us. The only hope that we have is that we hope to leave the world better than when we left it, just as some kind of kindness to other generations. But if this is all there is, that is the right way to live and it's admirable. But don't you dare call it Christian. It was, however, a decidedly Greek way to live. 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth, the city that Paul was writing to, it was a Greek city. And one of their, their poets, um, I wish I could pronounce his name, I'm terrible with Greek, it's like Ascules or something like that. He wrote this, in his famous piece called um, Eumenides, he said this, when the dust hath drained the blood of a man, once he is slain, there is no resurrection. And just last week, I heard a new song by Ty Dollar Sign that says, live fast and die young. In 2,000 years, we have not 
changed our core belief as a culture that this world is all there is. It was Greek philosophy. It's our philosophy. Nothing is new under the sun. And and I just have to be honest. I appreciate people wrestling with the meaning of life. I appreciate honest atheists. I appreciate honest agnostics. And an agnostic is someone who says that they can't be fully sure what to believe. Because I think that we need to be people who wrestle. Now, people who don't ever think about it, and they're just atheist or agnostic, or even Christian, they don't ever think about it. I don't appreciate that nearly as much. Because we have to wrestle with what we believe, because this is the stuff that matters greatly. This is why we have to decide, what is our core belief on the front of our book? And for those who place the Bible at the center of our lives, there's a little bit of a wrinkle for us. <laughs> See, if Jesus lived a sinless life, which means he never did anything wrong, and then he died, and then he was stuck in the ground, and a stone was rolled in front of the tomb, and he just stayed there, <laughs> then death would be the end. But he didn't. The Bible teaches clearly He rose from the dead, which means death is not the end. That's not all there is. This world is not all that there is. Paul continues his thought. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Did you catch his logical argument? Please hear this. He has two if-then statements. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus is dead. And if Jesus is dead, your faith is in vain. The word vain means it's hollow. If someone today proved that Jesus did not raise from the dead, stop being a Christian. Don't bother with Christianity. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, the whole belief system is hollow. It's empty. It's meaningless. A lot of people like Thomas Jefferson want to follow the teachings of Jesus but not bother with all the sin stuff or not bother with all the consequences of sin or the heaven and hell and death and resurrection stuff. And that's stupid. It's all or it is nothing. The resurrection is not an optional theology for a follower of Jesus. If Jesus had stayed dead, Christianity never would have started. If Jesus had stayed dead, like countless so-called messiahs of his day, Christianity would have fizzled and died. For me, one of the things I anchor my entire faith on is Christianity would not have launched if Jesus had not risen from the dead. There's no way any of his disciples would have done any of the stuff that they did if Jesus was not alive. And Paul tells us that believing in vain is just believing in something that is not true. Look what he says, 14, 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses 
about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if the dead are not in fact raised. Here's what happens. When we say that we're Christians, but we, but we don't use the Bible to get our core beliefs, when we cut out parts of Christianity that we're uncomfortable with, or we say we believe in Jesus, but we take out the stuff that we think is weird or wrong, um, we're essentially saying God isn't really represented by this book. Some of what this book teaches is actually not true. And what Paul says is, listen, I've been saying that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he didn't, you might as well throw out everything else I've taught because I have misrepresented God. (laughs) People come to church, in my experience, because we're all hoping, we're all looking for hope meaning we're all looking for hope and we think we might find it with God. And we're right because that's what the Bible gives us. It gives us meaning and it gives us hope. But in doing so, it also gives us something else. You see, there is something called sin in this world. Sin is any failure to reflect the image of God in our nature, attitude, or action. And sin causes pain and suffering and sorrow. And unfortunately, sin has infected every one of us like a disease. Every one of us carries around sin, so we are part of the pain and suffering and sorrow in this world. And at some point, you're going to realize that. You're going to realize that you're part of the problem. (laughs) I'm part of the problem. We're the problem. And then we realize we need something more than this world has to offer. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Hear that. Your faith is worthless if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Why? Because you are still in your sin. This gets at the core of what we all really need. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for hope. What we really need is forgiveness. The ultimate issue we face is sin. And sin is the reason that there's death in the world. And the only way to deal with death issue is to deal with the sin issue. And hope comes from dealing with the sin issue. And then dealing with the sin issue um, deals with all of the sins, right? (laughs) I know that sounds crazy and illogical, but look at this. Verse 18 and 19. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, which so many people do, We should be pitied more than anyone. This is a passage that I quoted at the funeral I just did recently. Because it's a big one. The only way we have meaning and hope and forgiveness is if there's someone out there that can deal with our infection of sin. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took all of our sin onto him. He was infected for us and by us. And then he was buried in the ground. 
And there are people out there who look at us in our, in, in our belief system and they say we are the most lame people in the world <laughs> to believe that, we, that the death of God on the cross would somehow save us. They think we're pathetic. And here's the deal. If this world is all there is, we are. Paul says, we among all people are to be the most pitied. But, verse 20, but (laughs) as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. If sin is an infection, then Adam is patient zero. We are all descended from him. We all carry from generation to generation to generation to generation sin. That's why we can't save ourselves. Something bigger, someone bigger, someone outside of all of this needed to offer us forgiveness and hope and meaning. Someone who, 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 can, who can transcend all this and, be, and become one of us because he truly cares about us and, and, and cares about this world enough to do something about it. And what this Jesus did is of first importance. This Jesus brings us the good news that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. That's what I believe. On the third day, Jesus rose again. And if you believe this and you place your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you, he will. I'll tell you what, you're never gonna live the kind of life Thomas Jefferson tells you you should live. Your ethics will always fall short. You will never behave correctly. And the good news is the only one who ever did rose from the dead, conquering death so that you can be with him forever. Believe in Jesus, the Jesus that rose from the dead, and he will save you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this Jesus. We thank you that our faith is not in vain. We thank you that instead of being the ones in this whole world that are to be most pitied, we are the ones in the world to be the most envied because Jesus loved us enough to save us. And so we just pray that in this new year, we would carry the gospel message of Jesus into our world, that we would be light in the darkness life in the midst of death, not by our conduct, not by our behavior, but because we point our very lives to Jesus. We pray that this would be a year that many around us would see that we worship a God that rose from the dead 
so that we may too. We pray all of this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.